they need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. We're going to be talking with Jim Anderson a little bit later. Jim is the president of Peace Action New York State, but he's active in so many things. This is going to be a good program. He's active in housing issues. He's certainly active in, in, in peace circles, social justice, uh, civil rights, all of that. Jim's been around for a while, and, and he's an interesting guy. We will get to him in about half an hour. But first, before that, let's welcome in... Damar and Carissa, uh, Carissa? Yes. I'm saying it correctly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Carissa Dowell. They are with God's Dream Incorporated. Mm -hmm. They're also DEI consultants, but the God's Dream portion of it is a consultancy that specifically looks at churches and how churches can be more diverse. I want to think back to a little bit. uh, We can even go back to, say, 1963. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King was famous for a phrase that he said often. Uh, most notably on Meet the Press one year, where where he talked about how people don't necessarily come together on a Sunday. I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hours in Christian America. Uh, I definitely think the Christian church should be integrated And any church that uh, stands against integration and that has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And it fails to be a true witness. Uh, But this is something that the church will have to do itself. I don't think church integration will come through uh, legal processes. I might say that my church is not a segregating church. It's segregated, but not segregating. It would welcome white members. And so here we are some 59 years later. Yeah. Is it still a problem? Absolutely. Yes, it is. To what degree? Well, um, there are, I would say a lot of it's politically driven, um, a lot of different opinions, and a lot of focusing on what we don't agree upon Mm -hmm. instead of what we do. And so that leads to the divisions, and particularly within the church. Well, I think part of it is because a church is going to be saying, here are the beliefs we proclaim as true. Right. And if my version of that truth is different from your version of that truth or your version of that truth, we're automatically going to have some division, no? It does, yes. Okay. <laughs> but it doesn't have to. All right. right? It doesn't have to, right? Again, there's many teachings in the Bible, and one specifically is it talks about the unifying of the spirit, not unifying in word. Yes. Because if you unify in word, again, it has to be everything we agree with. Yeah, okay. But if we unify in spirit, like, for example, racism is bad. We can all get around that. We can get around that. Now, you may have a different approach than we do 
in our denomination or our, but we can get around that idea. But yeah. I think we get tripped up on the exact wording of how and when. Yes. So you have to state your general principles more broadly to embrace more people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's basically it. That's, a, That's actually a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet there's also, and we talked about this before we came on air, there is also cultural differences. Absolutely. Denomination A is going to have a different liturgy yeah. than denomination B. Right. Um, I've heard that uh, black churches are a little more enthusiastic maybe than some of those I've been Absolutely. through. Um, Hallelujah. <laughs> that, that's what I'm talking about. Um, is that cultural difference at the root of the segregation, do you think? Um, I think it's twofold, though. Some of it is, uh, Chris and I were talking about that on the drive here, some of it is just fear, mm -hmm. right? It's just a cultural part of it, but it's like, I don't know what, how they do or what they do or what, I'm, they may say something that I don't agree with, and so one simple disagreeance, I'm mm -hmm. done with it. You know, mm -hmm. instead of, I mean, you wouldn't do that with family members, but we're supposed to be family. Well, uh, yeah. Thanksgiving dinners aside, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can picture those conversations. Yeah. Um, but how do you get over it? What then do you do? Describe your program. Again, DEI consultancy on the side for, for corporate clients, but then specifically the work with the churches. Well, I think the main thing is that we have to understand that just because we have differences doesn't mean we have to not be together. Mm -hmm. You know, segre differences doesn't equal segregation. Differences doesn't equal, you know, um, yeah, just being separate. Um, so when we go in, we we want to um, just highlight that our purpose, our purpose is to um, find common ground, which is number one in the church is Jesus Christ, right? For us in the Christian realm, it is Jesus Christ um, to be able to set um, safe places for us to have conversations to bring to light the very things that are happening in our communities. Like, mm -hmm. for instance, we discussed earlier that um, you know, when George Floyd happened, a lot of the church didn't even realize that re racism was still a thing. Right. Um, and so when George Floyd happened, um, there was a lot of different chatter. Um, some people were very much so like surprised. Some didn't necessarily agree that it was a racially, a racial um, hate act. Um and so we had the opportunity to put on an event at a church, invited all different churches. And this is through relationship, by the way. Right. Um, we don't just walk up in a church and say, hey, you need us. <laughs> um, we, we have I'm a, urban, you're rural. Yeah. Come, come, <laughs> yes. come yes. to our potluck. <laughs> Damar and I have had... Um, awesome opportunities to be in different kinds of churches um, in the city, in the suburbs, um, South towns, North towns. We have, um, we've just been on a journey and through that journey, we built relationship. Um, we built trust with leaders and congregations. And so we had an opportunity to put on an event, invite these people to come put on a stage um, different people of color who are leaders in our area, um, who are trusted leaders in our area and begin to share our stories and our experiences. Yeah. And go ahead, I'm There's sorry. There's a lot of 
a lot of surprise yeah. hearing those mm-hmm. stories. Again, like, um, wow, didn't know that. Mm-hmm. One example is a... Um, I was just going to ask for an example. Yeah. What stories do you tell? So there's a, uh, a gentleman, he's an architect in the area, done a lot with... Um, um, yeah, 33. Highways, 33, yeah. and things of that nature. Um, very successful man, also a pastor in the city. And he gave the story of uh, one time he was working on a job and he was driving. He's like one of the leaders of it. <laughs> and every single time he would pull up to um, the, the site. The job site, sure. Every time the police officer, same police officer, will pull him over. Every time. Wow. Every and- day. Every day, so we knew it was him, knew we had to be at the site. Knew it was him at the site, and every time he said the same thing, officer, you know that I'm going here. Uh-huh. Pull him over. It was, But it was just letting him know you're now welcome. Driving here. while black, this is not Absolutely. your neighborhood. Absolutely. Correct. Oh, man. Um, so we share stories like that, and then even things of redlining. and just, you know, there was just such um, enlightenment in that. Mm-hmm. But it was, again, in a safe space, safe conversation. And we were talking about this a little bit earlier that... This is not as uncommon as we think. Like, the mm-hmm. Bible is filled with racial yes. division. <laughs> Give me these examples, because <laughs> I didn't think of it until you mentioned it before the program. But you're yeah. right. There are a lot of points there yeah. where you can look at Scripture and say, here's a little bit of racism, here's a little bit of segregation. Right. And and other examples where, gee, these are people of different tribes or different mm-hmm. th- different groups embracing each other. Give me some examples. Right. I think from the beginning, God's heart has always been family, right? It's always been family. And mm-hmm. and it wasn't in that day as much a, um, it was more of theologically, like if you thought the same, I mean, you could be, it was a lot of different colors and stuff mm-hmm. that declared themselves to be Jew, Jewish, if you will. Um, but, you know, it's particularly after in, uh, in the book of Acts, um, there's an example in Acts chapter six and seven where there's Hellenist Jews who are who are more um, accepting of the Greek culture, right? Spoke the Greek language. They right. were a part of that. And then there were the traditional Jewish folks. Um, they had issues, you know. And the Hellenist Jews, I'm going to use very familiar language. They said, "You're discriminating against us. You're not taking care of our widows. You're not taking care of our so." And you know, so they had to have a discussion, a round table of how, who are we gonna, how are we gonna, who yeah. are we gonna appoint? I mean, these are issues that have been for a while, and it's just this human thing to divide ourselves. But again, we believe God's heart is. I mean, the diversity in everything. I mean, the trees, right. the fish. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 plain to see. You know. And beyond the church, I think you might have just hit on something. Whenever you're teaching DEI, mm-hmm. that's probably an example you pull out of your back pocket Absolutely. right there. Yeah. That diversity is normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we made the example of earlier, you know, we come from the perspective of we're not trying to get everybody to agree mm-hmm. we're trying to get everybody to understand yes we okay. listen to understand we don't listen to agree on everything mm-hmm. because if we focus on the agreement we won't get anywhere yeah, right. right if i'm coming to the table and i know you're going to try and make me believe something i don't believe right i'm going to dig in my heels right i can picture that and then it creates further division mm-hmm. further division but we're actually encouraged of some of the events and some of the conversations that we've been having of people who are just you know what, let's just, let's just meet, let's just talk mm-hmm. and publicly because, you know, we talk about the Lord's prayer a lot and, you know, our father or in heaven, mm-hmm. he was actually teaching them to pray. I would right. say that exactly. his prayer, it was John 17. And in John 17, he mm-hmm. said, 
I want them to be so unified that yes. the world would know how much you love me. So like yes. how the church people unify or have conversations publicly is a example to or should be an example or how they disagree. Right. Because we've, we've done that a lot. How we agree or disagree is an example of the love of God. Yeah. So is it just pulling people together for these roundtables, for these potluck suppers, these discussions down in the church basement? Um, that's a part of it. Um, but then we got to lead to action, right? It thousand has, percent. It's got to go towards action. What are we doing? Tell me more. Well, I, f- I feel like when we look at the life of Jesus, he and, and that for as believers, Jesus's life is the blueprint. It is the example that we are to follow as believers. And um, he... He broke bread with sinners, <laughs> prostitutes, um, Samaritans who mm. were like Ooh, the enemy yeah, of yeah. the Jew, Jewish people. And um, he, he taught us well. And so he didn't just break bread with them. But he also healed them. He prayed for them. He put action mm. to, um, you know, having a meal with them. And so... I don't know. I I just feel like the example of the Christly example of putting action to our words, because it's more than just saying, man, I really want to do something. Because I believe that that is the heart of people. So what we do is we'll we'll have these events. We have these conversations. We'll facilitate them. um, And then we take action. So in a practical sense, um, we have initiatives and programs that we allow people to give towards that will be for, for example, inner city youth to be a part of sports camps that they would never have the opportunity to or to travel right right now you're putting mom you're putting your mind and your words and you're putting it and your money mm-hmm. <laughs> into into actual things happening um and then the continual conversations and then they're not just in the church basement i don't like that okay and they need to be public yeah. conversations what they, was the one yeah. thing that the one pastor said like if you don't if you don't know what my bathroom looks like Oh, yeah. You, know, you don't really a, know me. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know me. I like that. You yeah. know, and so like really having, like stepping out, like you have to step out of your comfort zone yeah. to be able to make sustainable change, to really, really be unified yeah. with a community that doesn't look like you. And so I, I oh, think yeah. of a lot of um, churches, parishes, congregations that have obviously the Sunday services. Correct. We spoke about that with, with Dr. King, 11 a.m. Sunday, most segregated hour. But they also have, I don't know, ladies that do get together in the church basement and make sandwiches that are given out at a food pantry Mm -hmm. or ladies that collect um, clothing for the babies. Mm -hmm. Those kind of efforts. Mm -hmm. Do you do long-term projects that integrate people at that level rather than just filling the pews with black people and white people in a diverse audience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we take the approach of uh, we really believe in, in training and development. Um, our background is uh, we have a for-profit um, equipped trainings. We work with corporations. We work with school districts. Um, and we've been doing that for some time. And we love it. And we see when people are empowered through knowledge, mm-hmm. it leads to them doing it on their own. Mm-hmm. Right? right? When it breaks those barriers down. So we offer the same things that we offer for corporations. We offer for, for churches, whether that's workshops, whether that's uh, online courses, whether that's um, in-person training leadership staff. Um, so that they're empowered to do those smaller things on their own and have people invite them over to their houses things mm-hmm. and so we kind of try to facilitate to see the bathroom I yes like yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, sustainability is the part that I don't get mm. um, 
I can picture, yes, a group of people getting together and having the discussion. I can see a, uh, an ongoing effort in any in any church that continues that discussion. But I can also see it being a, a flavor of the month. Mm-hmm. I mean, George Floyd happened and there was national outrage. Mm-hmm. But then six months ago, there was also the top shooting. Right. Um, how do you deal with the flavor of the month uh, scenario? Mm. Well, it's twofold. You know, it's you have to have buy in from certain and there's there's a uh, certain um i guess denominations that are more and more different people groups of churches if you will who are more understanding of what we're saying and and hey let's have another one or let's continue it because it it like you say sustainability is all about the con- the continual of it if we're not continuously having the conversation like you said earlier, like you don't want to keep having the same. You're yeah. having the show, but you got to right, change right. it up a little bit. It's the same thing. You get that effect. Um, but w- w- part of it is we ain't going nowhere. We we calling. We, you know, and again, it's not just on our end. It is right. on the other side, too. Um, and so when you have that buying, it builds. And then what happens is slowly but surely, as it grows, other people are like, oh, maybe we should think about that, too. Maybe we should try. So that's what we're seeing, that as we continue to build, others are saying, oh, that's what I thought it was this uh, it's not that well how can we like well, Carissa just had the opportunity to go and speak at a um uh, a bunch of with Mount Mercy there yeah. they have um retreats for each of their classes every year so mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to speak to their freshman class this mm-hmm. year their freshman retreat and the uh, one of the runners of the school was at the event and All she was right. like oh this is amazing how, yeah. how, well, let's just bring it on bring it bring on it to yeah. my school right. yes yeah. yes what 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 was that like? What happened there? What did the kids and it was say? full circle moment. For it her, was full it. circle because I grew up in the Catholic Church. Okay. Um, and I used to go to different youth retreats at the Harvest House, which is which is where they had their retreats. Yeah. So being Seneca Street, South Buffalo. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it looks the same, and it smells the same, and so <laughs> um, I just totally had a nostalgic moment and just full circle. Um, and I, I believe that there are some seeds planted in my life at, at that place. Um, and then just being able to speak to the young people about um, their power, their power as a young person, their power as a woman, um, as a young woman growing into a full grown woman, mm-hmm. um, being able to share my story, but then also talking about, um, you know, intimacy with God. And so the importance of that. And, um, you know, it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I also think of um, there's a Catholic parish on the east side, not too far from the top shooting, mm-hmm. St. Bridget's Columba. Yes. Which was the result of some downsizing the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And um, the neighborhood obviously had a little bit of white flight, mm-hmm. but it maintained a connection to some of those white congregants. Mm-hmm. Black congregants came in, mm-hmm. downsized, and I believe merged with another parish. Mm-hmm. Um I've heard from people who go there that that is a pretty integrated congregation. It is. And yet just a mile from the top shooting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we see that actually to our, the church we attend is Vanguard Church in, in North Tonawanda, yeah. which if you don't know, North Tonawanda was once called a sundowner town. Yes, it was. Which meant if you ain't, if you dark... <laughs> and you ain't out by the sundown, you're going to have a You've problem. You've got some trouble. Right. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't just right. dark. It was if you ain't what we are, too. It was, mm. um, yeah. But we, the, the, the pastors, Justin and Jessica Collins, they were our intentional 
yes. about, that's where it is, the intentionality. Yeah. Yes. They are intentional about wanting diversity in their church. So we driving out to North Tonawanda and we met them somewhere. And now it's multicultural in the yeah. middle of North Tonawanda. It's the most insane thing in the world. And <laughs> they also, just the intentionality piece, mm-hmm. they also take it upon themselves to connect with other churches in mm-hmm. the city, in yep. the suburbs. So they don't stay uh, in their four walls. I, and I would imagine they don't stay perhaps as denominational as Correct. other congregations. Right. Correct. Right. And and even when you, again, trying to, with the intentionality, reaching out to different denominations on purpose, mm-hmm. right? But saying, again, hey, we don't have to agree on everything, but, you know, we have a harvest party coming up this weekend. <laughs> How can we help serve the city, right? right. Let's. So we just all bought minion outfits and we're going to be the minions and <laughs> giving out candy, you know? And then there's another folks from another church who are coming. Like, how can we serve together yes. instead of talking about what we don't agree upon? How does that play out on a Sunday morning, though? You talked at the beginning yeah. of the conversation about uh, cultural differences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sunday black, morning. Black churches sing differently. Right. <laughs> so I'm one of the worship leaders and I yeah, sing yeah. a lot. So I bring different songs to the table, right? And so when And that's accepted. That's cool. It's accepted. Yes. It's like, oh, I it's never encouraged. heard this song that yeah. way. It's uh, more than accepted. It's encouraged. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Actually, our pastor, Katie, yeah. she would, and sometimes I'll do spoken word, I'll rap in the middle of singing in, in a church and she'll be like, I want you to do that thing again. <laughs> and she's like the whitest woman I ever met before that. And it's amazing that because yes. she's authentically her. Yes. I can be authentically me, and we can learn and grow from each other. Mm-hmm. We should mention at this point you're a musician as well. I am. Um, <laughs> Damar Dowell is here. His <laughs> wife, Carissa, is here. Together, they run God's Dream Incorporated. Mm-hmm. It's a nonprofit DEI uh, group that works with congregations, works with the church community to try and integrate them more, to try and help them develop more um, more diverse spaces. But at the same time, you also have a w- equipped training, which is a, a more conventional DEI group that yeah. works with companies and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which which realm is easier to operate in? <laughs> Not the church. Not the church. Okay. <laughs> Not the church. I had a, that's why I asked. I had a hunch you'd say that. Yeah, it's, uh, but we're growing. You know, I'm, we're really encouraged. Uh, the first event we had was in Orchard Park, mm-hmm. and they, and this was before 514. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is called Park Parsons. It's a conglomerate of multiple churches in the area, evangelical, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Catholic. In the South Towns. In the South Towns. Hmm. They all said, we know we need to have something. Mm-hmm. And so we went and we talked. And we talked something about, that gets them to interface with more people of color? Yes. Correct. Okay. More talk about the diverse issues. What, what, what are we, why are we facing these things? And then 514, we were having those conversations, and then 514 happened mm-hmm. and that was like here's why we need to have those conversations because yes. I guarantee you if that young man spoke with or had some contact with somebody sure who was talking about hey it's okay to be diverse yes. yeah he wouldn't have been able to otherize people to the point that he gets in a car with a gun absolutely and goes the rest of the way right. absolutely mm-hmm. so again we are encouraged that they reached out to us and we were mm-hmm. kind of having a conversation because you know Orchard Park is not exactly known for for its diversity, right? But yeah. they were intentional. Yes, they were. And so we were like, "Well, we would that's a win. To. That's a win all <laughs> yeah, day, definitely." I also think that in the corporate world, mm-hmm. um, it has almost, forgive me, become a buzzword. Absolutely, it's something that people know they should do in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Um, Less so maybe in the church community. Yeah, I mean, well, the corporate world has an understanding that there's a business case for diversity as well as the moral case. Because the 
the statistics are astronomical. Every single company that has braced, embraced the ESG strategy, which includes the social justice, every single one that embraces it, they all have higher profits than those who don't. Ah. Every single one. Inclusion and belonging. When you when people are doing their exit interviews, when they're leaving, the highest top one is they didn't feel like they belong or they didn't feel included. Right? So they understand there's a business case for it. They can make more money. But also, not just um, their people internally wanting to belong, but com- people outside buying their products because they understand and know right. that, oh, this company is going after trying to be more diverse. Mm-hmm. So is that part of the business case? And then it's the moral case, like... For humanity's sake, we should be trying to embrace other people and other <laughs> that we don't agree with. You know? I, I thought I knew all the acronym, acronyms. ESG? ESG. Environment, environmental, social, and, and governance. Oh, okay. So, like, environmental justice and things like that. So there's a... There's justice across multiple platforms yes. within their company. Yes. Not just hiring more black people. Correct. Okay. Because you can do that, and then they're going to leave. Yeah. And then when they leave, they're going to tell you why they left. And you're right. going to be back to the same Because the environment wasn't right for right. me. Right, right. And then you just have to keep on trucking and hiring more without changing the culture. Right. That, that's not going to work, I would imagine. There you go again. Culture. Culture. Oh, yeah. sure. It's culture. That's a huge okay. word we it's use. It's church culture. It's yeah. it's Catholic culture. Corporate it's culture. Corporate culture. Yep. It's all cultural clashes. Jewish culture. I mean, all of it is culture. And if we, as we understand that we... Our cultures can have some convergence and we can accept the good of those cultures. Again, if we have a culture that's like doing bad things or like hurting people, okay, we don't we don't want that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna break We're not gonna that. do that. But there's so much more good. So much more. Mm-hmm. And as a person, again, we're believers in Christ. So it is our duty to love everybody. Absolutely. My grandmother grew up in Alabama. My mother was born in nineteen fifty nine in Alabama. She was not considered a few human being. She was not. Mm. And they moved up here on purpose, right? And we were taught to never hate anybody because of we love Jesus. But we were taught to be cautious. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> you know, you got to be. And that kind of right. carried with us for some time and, and carried with me personally. And that, you know, even into our journey of diversity, you know, we actually wouldn't be here. Uh, actually, this is a smaller story here. Yeah, we can divert. We have time. Yeah, so... I, I, I like sidetracks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm at church, and there's a white gentleman and his wife, and I had this 10-second flash of background history. It's a white guy, older white guy. Ooh, I don't know. What is yeah. he going to... Is he going to be racist? Is he going to think... What, do I have to talk about race? Like, all the things going through my mind. But something inside of me was like, man, just go say hello, you know? But I had to get over my uncomfortability, and, it's, and I'm sure it's vice versa with white folks and black yeah. folks and Puerto Ricans or whatever it is. And so I go. I introduce myself. We start talking. Well, he's a songwriter. So am I. Oh, cool. <laughs> His, they're recent empty nesters. We have four children. And we, they said, come on over. So we go over. They have a huge pool, kids in the pool. Mm-hmm. We develop a relationship for over a year. And, and during that time, we started our business. And... He, what we didn't know at the time was he was a vice president of a very large company in the area. He saw our product that we were building. He said, hey, I like this. If you could tailor it to us, we could use some of what you're doing. Let me jump back. What was the initial encounter? Where did you see him? Because I have heard many say one of the problems that the east side currently has Mm -hmm. is is the obvious segregation. Mm -hmm. 
and that people who look more like me mm-hmm. aren't going to go over there for a sandwich or a lunch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here's the beauty of having a church that is diverse. So our church is diverse. I saw him at church. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> so black guy on the team, I'm me, like, what's good, y'all, what's good, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I mean, like, that's how I talk. And right? he was new to the area. He was new, newer guy, and I was yeah. like, oh, let me go. And he's, you know, from Texas. He's a global guy, him and his wife, the Lupinacci's, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And so we started developing, even so much so, they gave us a business opportunity, right? It opened oh, immense doors for us, and we created a great product for them, and we use that same product now. But when um, George Floyd happened in Juneteenth, they invited us over. They sell it. They never did it before. They took the initiative to learn and grow. They went and did history on Juneteenth. They invited us over. We had Juneteenth dinner. We did. Um, it was like yeah. growing and merging of cultures. It's a perfect example of going across to your, and we would say it to him all the time, you know, for him in his mind, he's like, I wasn't giving you the opportunity because you're black. I was giving it to you because you have a great product and we've got to know each other. I was like, yeah, but you got to know you're a white dude. And white dudes don't usually do this. So this really matters. Mm-hmm. But you know? that may too, not not to diminish his intent. Mm-hmm. And, and earlier I heard you say, yeah, it all, it all comes down to intent. Mm-hmm. But he was also someone involved in the corporate world where mm-hmm. he saw the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. Churches, God says, love one another. Mm-hmm. They see the benefit of it. How do we integrate the segregated spaces that are not necessarily in the corporate world and mm-hmm. in the church world? The east side more generally, generically speaking. Right. Uh, is, it, is it just a matter of, again, I, I had one person on this program say, just take your lunch over there somewhere, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that what it is? You got to get over your fear. Period. Yeah. The fear of... What may or may not, I mean, we've had several conversations where I know we knew of one person, they, there's a pastor who was on the, on the east side. They were, they believed God was supposed to follow them. Then he got a church mm. on the east side and they said, we can't, we can't go to your church anymore. Like, well, you say God was supposed <laughs> to tell you to come with us. And he was like, well, yeah, we're but, not but safe. It's over there. Like, right. And it's like, you got to get over your fear. Like, I mean, I call him the homie Jesus because he's my homie. He's okay. my friend. He's All my right. guy. He was the the, the the threats on him and the disciples. I mean, you think about all of the things that they were doing that were countercultural. There goes the word again. That There's, there's always going to be a threat against us for what we believe or for trying to do the right thing. Or like you said, going to the east side and getting some real good chicken, um, yep. fried chicken, some greens, some mashed potatoes, like the good stuff that's yeah, on the east yeah, side. Yeah. Why wouldn't you go over? You know, right. you got it's the fear part. You, know, you have got to get out of your four walls. Yeah. You've got to step out of your comfort zone. You have got to intentionally go to coffee with someone who doesn't look like you. Yeah. Um, even in the church realm. I mean, like you, we're all connected, even though we're not connected, mm-hmm. at least in our realm. Mm-hmm. Like there's black churches, there are white churches, there are Hispanic churches where we know one another. Mm-hmm. So the the I think the main thing is still intentionally again that word intentionality going over the bridges going over the bridges going in, into each other's realms if you will mm-hmm. and submerge yourself immerse yourself in in culture that is not that's not yours that's not your own mm-hmm. you know yeah break bread go to coffee ask questions learn about one another um not necessarily um 
you know, it, you don't have to go into race. You just mm-hmm. go into like learn about the person, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, where are you, you from? Know, where, yeah. Where'd you grow up? You know, oh, you're what, so what were your parents you know? like, yeah, yeah. you know, what are your kids doing? What is your wife doing? You know, learn about one another, learn about one another. It then that fear, that fear thing that keeps us from, from unifying, it will break so quickly it is so easy when you step out of your comfort zone for that fear just to shed. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't take, a, it's literally simple. Mm. It's simple. The analogy I've heard, again, drawing on some of the discussions from this program, um, there are some people who look at things like the housing problems, mm-hmm. look at things like the disinvestment, looking things at like, like things uh, like the, the health disparities. Mm. And say, we need to treat those symptoms individually. Because if we start attacking those problems, those problems will be solved. One person said, starfish washes up the beach. On the beach, you throw the starfish back in the sea. Mm. There's a heck of a lot of starfish, but that one just got back into the water. Mm. Solve the individual problems. Mm -hmm. I've also heard people say that it needs to be approached, as I think the two of you have outlined it, Mm -hmm. attitudinally. Mm. Black people must. To understand that they can mix with white people. White people can understand that they need to mix with black people. Let's let's just get together and get along. Specifically in Buffalo's East Side, mm-hmm. after something like the Tops shooting, mm-hmm. do we need to attack the symptoms? Do we attack the attitudinal stuff, the broader disease? Where do you guys see the most things getting done? I think it, it has to be both. And again, I, I had a hunch you'd say that because it's it's the same thing with Democrat versus Republicans. Like both of you guys got some good points. Can we come together bipartisan? Mm. Right. It's it's I'm from Kissington and Bailey. Okay. I remember the first gun pulled on me on the corner store. Right. Like mm. I was there, I, I, you know, my brother. I mean, the drugs and all of that. And I, but I had a brother, a brother who was a police officer who just retired from the police department in Buffalo City. But I had another brother who's a drug dealer. Right. Like I understand. And I, my mama's still there. I'd be around there all the time. You know, I, I'm invested in my city intentionally. Simultaneously, I know there are issues. And so I what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? Right. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to I think it's the both sides. Like you said, it, it has to be the symptoms. Yes. But their symptoms coming. They're coming from something. Cancer, you know, is, yeah. is, is the root. So mm-hmm. the symptoms are just secondary. We mm-hmm. got to get to the root, and the root of it is attitude, mindsets, how we think about each other, why, how we, t- you know, what I mean, like the reason why uh, do we really need to put as much money in over here, or fix these streets? Because are they going to take care of the streets, and then they're going to do it like that? Like that's a mindset that there's approach right. towards that part of the community, that mm-hmm. city, and it's not just the east side. It's on poorer, and poverty is one of the main issues. Right. But why is there poverty? Well, <laughs> because you said disinvestment over years and years yeah. and time and time, yeah. you're taking smaller resources here. Now the schools aren't as good, right? Now the kids aren't as learning as much. Now the, when I graduated from Seneca Vocational, the graduation rate was 47%. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Jesus. Right. An, I mean, you know, <laughs> no, it, has, it, it has improved. Buffalo is doing a lot better in trying to. And so we got to give the city props for what we've been going after. And I think as we just continue to have these conversations and be intentional about having it grow, you know, it's inevitable that it will get better. Hopeful. Hopeful, Hopeful. One of my final questions is almost always, if, if, if you're hopeful, if you're optimistic, mm-hmm. I'm thinking coming from the faith community that both of you probably are. Mm-hmm. What does Buffalo need? Mm-hmm. Independent of the kind of discussion we've had here. 
about uh, a change in attitude. Are you saying from the church perspective? Uh, no, broadly, Buffalo City. Broadly in general, with, with an eye on, of course, mm. 514. Mm. Um, Carissa, you have the magic wand. Wave it. What happens? <laughs> oh, well, I think that, um, I don't know, I, I come from the approach of love. I think that we need to step into the love that we have just for humanity um, and to, again, um, we need people who are willing to not be afraid. We mm -hmm. need to step out in our yeah. love and encourage and um, to come combat that fear of the unknown and to not stay silent, right. to rise up. Um, and, and to do something, whether it's going for that coffee, whether it's, um, you know, going into the city and finding a nonprofit that could use your services, go and serve somewhere. Um, but I think ultimately it's rising up out of our fear and into the courage that we all have. Because love casts out fear. It does. All right. Yeah. I think that's the perfect way to end it. I, I was going to ask you to elaborate, but she stole all the thunder. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love, people. We need love. Yes, we're a team. Good job. We are. Carissa Dowell. Carissa and Damar Dowell. Godsdreamincorporated.com. Uh, dot org. Dot org. Yes. Godsdreaminc.org. Yes. yes. All right. Very good. And uh, they also have... Uh, uh, a, a more commercial, non-church-focused DEI consultancy as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you both for coming in. This Thank was great. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Coming up next, activist Jim Anderson will be here. Stay with us. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. WNED PBS Kids has a new show, Rosie's Rules. Join us at the WNED PBS studios for a free screening of the show on Saturday, October 29th at 10 a.m. We'll show you episodes of Rosie's Rules and enjoy giveaways and activities, including a scavenger hunt with prizes. Come meet Rosie Fuentes, a five-year-old Mexican-American girl who will introduce us to the art and traditions of her culture. Visit WNED.org events to register. WNED PBS can go everywhere you go with the WNED PBS app. Go to the app to watch shows like Klein Hands Gift to Buffalo, Frontline, and Compact Science. Even watch on the go with the WNED PBS live stream and a 24-7 stream of WNED PBS kids. You can also see the full television schedule and what's on right now from the app. Download the WNED PBS app wherever you get your apps. Thank you for casting your votes for the 2022 WNED Classical Top 100. We'll be playing back your results here on WNED Classical from October 27th through November 2nd. Listen in to hear if Beethoven retained the top spot or if you chose a new leader on our ultimate classical playlist. Donations come in many forms. A sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. Here's how. Go to WNED.org vehicles. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO. 
your NPR station. And for the balance of this hour, we'll be talking with Jim Anderson. He's with Peace Action New York State, a longtime civil rights activist throughout the state of New York, um, pushing for peace programs, anti-militarism. You've worked with PUSH. You're the president of their board you, on housing issues. Um, you're one of the complainants. This I thought was pretty interesting. And one of the complainants in the suit over the redistricting of city Buffalo Council districts. You're involved in a heck of a lot of things. Got to be. You know, uh, when the community is under attack, what do we do? Stand up and fight back. And on a personal note, it's necessary for us always to be civically engaged. And that's what I try to be. Um, you know, look, I've been on the planet. I often tell people I've been on the planet a long time. I know something, and I don't need a sign that say, see something, say something. I'm in that. Not only see something, say something, do something. And I understand that that's the high need now to get our community organized and active. I um, did some research into the different things that you have been a part of. Okay. And every Google page it would list some sort of protest, generally for the anti-war movement. Mm -hmm. um, in the past several years, your name popped up in all of those searches. Uh, I know someone at one of the colleges that said, oh, Jim does a whole lot of outreach with the youth. Again, yeah. uh, different distribution programs. The whole, and forgive me, I'm, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. The whole that I found, though, is there's a whole lot of activism around, continued activism around housing and around peace. It doesn't seem like there is anymore, and, and push back on it for I me will. if you can, um, activism around race. Is there racism? Yeah, there, there, it is. But we have, we're in, a, in a, a different part of the world now. I mean, and, there was a time when it used to be the, the, the fight seemed to be black and white because people weren't recognizing red, brown, and yellow people. And in this moment of where BIPOC people, people of color and everybody, we have to be working together. And not only here locally, but internationally. The world is already here. And the reality is we're still dragging a lot of that racial negativity that has come from the past. Some of it is caused by people who didn't mean to do it, but their pain that has never been healed. Like when you look at the levels of generations that we have here, you have generations who experienced those parts of racism that I mean was really in their face, especially those who were living in the South. So their attitude is a little different from somebody who's never experienced that. And their healing is, has not totally happened. Because often you will hear folks who were in those moments talk about how terrible it is, and they'll talk about it and almost like mm -hmm. as if they're still mad in the moment. That's a sign that the healing, the forward movement hasn't happened. And it's not a problem with them, but that's what the culture has been. We're just now starting to talk about race and still struggling to include others who are not black but who are people of color. So that hurt deep down inside that has been internalized creates the sense of action, no? It does, and, and, it, and it creates a challenge. I'll give you my personal thing that I often talk about. Growing up and having members of the family who experience that kind of thing, so often when 
something would come on TV or something where a person of color was involved, they would reflect it from their pain moment. Mm -hmm. They would always seem like, for instance, when we talk about the media, they always show negative images of black. Well, before people, some people did data checking to, to track it and show, some were just passing on what they had heard. Well, the reason I see more black faces on the on the perp walk in court is because they commit more crime would be the rationale. Right. And 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 part of it is, is the fact that the overall culture that it was quite racist. Look, we're just now getting to the point of trying to work with each other and we're not doing too well. I mean, we we still got, I dare call them sleeper cells, uh, people who are racist in their behavior but in their consciousness don't recognize it. We still, we still have people in this intersectional moment where all of those who are about building a better world that works for all of us, some folks aren't doing that. Look at the issues that the members of the LGBTQ community have. Look at the issues and the comments you hear about those who are immigrants coming here. So, you know, ain't no need in denying it. The problem is we don't have enough people working to get it, to fix that, to change it. But it's happening now. The reason it's happening now is this younger generation that I often say are the bearers of the new knowledge, the new skills, the new energy, they are rising up. Part of it is the experience they had on campuses. Uh, but but are they? They're, after George Floyd, mm -hmm. there was the summer of, of protest across the entire country. Mm -hmm. After the Tops shooting, I'm not sure there was many marches. There was certainly community outreach, uh, community fridges, um, people trying to work for another grocery store, all of that. But I, I, I look at the one kind of activism, and it, to my mind, is completely different from the other kind. No? Well, you're right. See, some folks have gotten to look and to see a movie of activism as, uh, as always showing an emotion of outrage. Yeah. They don't recognize the organizing part that is more focused on building community and building a world that works for us all. So when they think people are not involved, unless, you know, we have to admit that in many of our communities, the issues that we face, we have folks who, are, who, are, who actually think the issues are over their head and somebody else is going to take of it. You can lay that at the footstep of unaccountable politicians who have lost their statesmanship. I'll tell you right now that here we got the world conversation around nuclear possibility of war, and none of our congressional people have ever come back to this community and held a town hall not only to say what their position is and to share with us some insight, but they don't even come back and say to the people, I want to, I'd like to know what you think. And, and, and I say that's a problem because how are they going to represent us if they don't know and if they don't share? And the excusiology that they practice about why they won't do it, I don't buy it and nobody should. But the only way you can get away with that is when you have a community of folks who think, oh, that's for somebody else to do. 
All of us got skin in the game. And this is a conversation that they need to get on. That's what I talk about. I, as many of them, I love them on the good things that they do, but it's horrible in this moment. And I'll end that part on the, on the nuclear concern because look at all the monies that are not going to human needs that are going to that issue. So you are a hardcore peace activist that say, Cut the de- says cut the defense budget. Use that on human services. Yes, we're we're not at war with anybody. And the truth be told, let me mention this. You know, a lot of people when they look at immigrants, they think that they come here because they love this country, but they don't understand the upheaval that our militarization abroad is causing in their country. And the true history of lifting up leaders in countries that are not so well for their people. i tell you something else. We talk about gentrification here in our community. Well, folks need to understand what militarized gentrification is when we're trying to put bases in countries where we displace people where they don't even want them. And then I'll tell you this. We, we talk about climate and trying to get policies that keep and safeguard our environment and everything else, water and so forth. They don't understand the U.S. is abroad doing all kind of testings of various weaponry that, look, we're just a few years away from where the Marshall Islands filed an international lawsuit because women are having jellyfish baby. Now, we the people here, we don't know. We just assume we're the good guys on the planet and in the world. And the truth is we know better. The problem is we haven't done better to change it because it would help us at home and abroad. I want to talk more specifically about the at-home part. Okay, let's do it. Jim Anderson is here, by the way. He is uh, president of Peace Action New York State, active in a lot of civil rights causes, housing, again, on the board of PUSH, People United for Sustainable Housing. But clearly, in his conversation there, you you just said it, that it all kind of comes back to the anti-war militarism movement. Uh, Is activism on that front going to ever be worth anything on the east side of Buffalo, on Jefferson, after something like the top shooting? Connect those two dots for me. I know you can. you, I tell you how that's going to be. People have to understand the history of how we got in this this mess of being against each other. People need to understand that as we talk about getting weapons off the streets of our city, we need to get them off the streets of the world. Many of the weapons that that are manufactured in this country, sold abroad, even wind up into our streets, shame on us. But the ignorance of the population has one that has been manifested by Politicians who lack in their statesmanship by not talking to their constituents and get mad. And unfortunately, many of them have staff who are not, you know, I, see, when you have a, if I'm a politician and I got staff, I want them to give me the temperature of what's happening on the ground. But the truth is, many of those offices don't want to do that. And we know that. And some of them get dismayed when you go to knock to talk to them and lobby them. We shouldn't have to lobby them. Our, our representatives shouldn't be running in talking about, oh, I brought this much money in. Fine. That's part of what we expect you to do. But we expect you to have conversation with us. We expect you to act like we don't know. These issues are not above our head. And we need the people to understand it's not above them their head. So the part of the organizing, whether it's around housing, 
whether it's, whether it's around employment, whether it's around the infrastructure of our community. That's everybody's conversation because we got skin in the game. We just got to grow people forward to understand that. I once asked Tom Reynolds, the former congressman, former state uh, Republican Party chair, head of the uh, Congressional Campaign Committee, I once asked him why America is so divided. And at this point, he was out of office, and he was real candid, and he said, basically, the reason America is so divided is because the districts have been gerrymandered. If I'm going to run in a particular district, and that district is carved out so it's basically ultra-right or ultra-left, I'm going to moderate my opinions toward the population of that district. If you're saying the politicians haven't shown up and heard things on the east side, not my district, man. Is that is that part of the equation? And, and see, and that's part of the excusiology they practice when they talk about not that's like it's somebody else's department. What what's the old saying you say here that commercial or where they got to say not my job? Yeah. Shame on them. We talk, we're in a moment where we talk about see something, say something. Why aren't they saying something? They see this is a major issue. They see that not only the money taken away is harming us, but they see the lives lost. And they see that it's not advancing the inter, the, 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 the interconnections of the world. They're always trying to find, find a bad person to make the bad guy and make that the reason that we got to take all this money from human needs in order to go fight the bad guy. And the truth is, that's just financing for, for contractors because the money never gets to resolve nothing. Look at, look at how many skirmishes we've been in around the world without a break. I mean, you know, they don't want to call it war. Just like they, look, I'm a combat veteran of Vietnam. I was a machine gunner. 1968, two weeks after Dr. King got killed. So, so when it comes to it, it's ahead. not abstract. It's not, oh, war is bad. You've, you have seen this. Well, you know, this, look, we, this community that calls it a very faithful community, read a book to say that there's a time for war, there's a time for peace, there's a time for everything under the sun, nothing new under the sun. We need to quit acting like we're so innocent. The book that everybody claimed to subscribe to talks about that we're imperfect. So that means at some point in the time, we're all going to be on the wrong side of an issue. The problem is, when we're on the wrong side of the issue, what do we do when clarity comes that says you're on the wrong side? Do we resist and pretend and act like people don't know what they're talking about? I say H to the E double L, <laughs> no. And that's, this is one of the things that we have to get our citizens to stand up. What do, what, do, what do politicians say? The squeaky wheel gets oil. The problem is many people have been dummied down from squeaking. They need to find their voice. They need to show up. Look, young people who are in the street and why I hang out there with them, they're not crazy. They recognize the world we have is, is limited and only inclusive for some. Their vision is to build a world that works for all of us. And they're doing it. People don't recognize change happening right now in this moment. You might be the exception. I am. But I, <laughs> and, you love that, and you love that part of it, I'm sure. Um, but by and large, do you feel as if the movement today is divided into two camps, the old guard and the young Turks? Well, I feel like it, I don't think it's divided. I think 
the struggle has always been intergenerational. I think that big money interest, I think that statesmanship politicians have contributed to dividing us. I think that that that's one of the reasons why I don't mind going into any community with any group. Most people that know me, they didn't meet me sitting down, just leaning around, reading a paper and doing armchair quarterbacking. They met me with sleeves rolled up on their issue. When I show up somewhere, I'm not asking to speak. I want to learn how we're connected. How can I help and remind folks? It's an intergenerational struggle. I use the word excusiology because there are a lot of people in age who are, are acting like, well, you know, I'm old now. I can't do. Heck no. That don't, don't, they, they got to stop that. We are still to be involved, and the older generation is majorly responsible for all this crappy stuff that is going on. Someone once described it to me, and I'm not going to out who they are. The old don't want to change. The young don't want to listen. Do you that's, agree? That, see, you know, we got a lot of cliches that jump around that we need to throw away, such as the excusiology we use when we, when we don't do right. We say, oh, my bad. No, not your bad. You did bad, and now you got to do something to correct it. And by the way, there are consequences for people who do mischievous and wrong stuff. The whole community People need to understand we have to hold them accountable. We're not throwing them out of the world, but you can't keep having lack of uh, providing services and you're supposed to be a representative of a certain community. You can't keep coming back like you're doing great and you're not interacting and talking with your community. Shame on them. Shame on we the people who will let them get away with it. Jim, we only have three minutes left. I'm going yes. to try and get you to come out of your shell a little bit. You've been okay. kind of reserved. Uh, <laughs> in the final three minutes here, I want to talk about your status as one of the complainants that is currently challenging the redrawing of the district lines in the city of Buffalo. Um, broadly, the argument that, that uh, the, the attorneys have put forth is, procedure wasn't followed but then they turn to each of the 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 complainants and say complainant a has had a problem with this process and it has hurt him or her a certain way what is your argument how has the drawing of these district lines ended up hurting jim anderson well it's clearly a politician's protection redrawing program and the first thing that i'll tell you at I sat in the city council during one of the meetings, and they hear a councilman stand up and and talk about well the line should 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 be drawn to favor them that he should not be drawn out of his district. Look, if you're running for office, don't try and get it. Well, I always want my buddies and where where I'm going, you know that who I know will favor me. The Fillmore district. Somebody ought to be arrested. Some of them ought to be arrested for what they've done. But I can't talk a lot because we'll be in, we're in under the court process, and we're not making. This is not a frivolous move on our part. And these people that come together, when like we plan to do this, people want to be involved in co-governance here in the city. And we've had politicians who refuse to accept that, who have tried to keep us divided. But change is coming, and it's going to happen. And we can we look. We can take a judgment call. That's what the courts are for. Final question: About one minute left. 
broadly. Answer it as broadly or as narrowly as you would like. What does Buffalo need? Buffalo needs for people to get active, take ownership of the development of Buffalo and who we put in office. We need to hold them accountable. If they don't deliver, our duty is to move them out. It's not that they're bad people. Sometimes we put well-meaning people in position that don't do the job. We don't have to keep, keep them there. Look at the football team. Look at any team. You tell me who they, who they get on there that's not playing and doing to help the team out, do they stay? No. And we got some politicians that need to stop trying to make this a career pra- uh, track without doing the kind of work that would benefit the, the people who, to make them want to put them back in office. We got to stop all of this trickery and dealing with that gerrymandering. Is a line in the sand. All right, Jim, we got to have you back for an entire I want to come back. I yeah, want to come we're, back. We'll fit you in. We're out of time now. Okay. We will talk more about these topics, of course, tomorrow here on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WBJ Jamestown. This is Dave Debo. Thanks for listening. Yeah.